For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. No BS with the bull, Manny Fernandez, right here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. And uh, listen, I want to thank everybody that tuned in for last week's debut episode where we kind of told the story of Manny's background, the number one show on VOC Nation and just uh, thousands of people tuning in to hear Manny's story. And Manny uh, hasn't been around in quite a number of years, really out in the public. So I think, Manny, uh, people are happy to see you or hear you back again and get to live, relive some of your, your wrestling feats from yesteryear. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's good to be back on the show, and I'm glad. You know, we had some fun last week, and hopefully we'll have some more this week and talk about some of the great times I had with some of the greats in this business. Enjoyed running up and down the road with them when I was still in college football. Still Absolutely. At yeah. Uh, my name is Bruce Wirt, uh, affectionately called the voice of choice. That, no, that nickname stuck with me for 20 years. I, I did uh, a shift. I'm sorry, not 20 years. It's only been 10. What am I doing? Uh, it's only been about 10 <laughs> years. And I did uh, Philadelphia radio for a little while. And my first line was, I'm your new voice of choice in the afternoon. And it kind of stuck. So here I am. Um, it's an honor for me to host Manny's show here. And Manny, off the air before we started, talking on the air we were talking about how you never really wanted to get into wrestling you just kind of fell into it after meeting dick murdoch and terry funk we'll talk more about terry funk as we get into it this week but uh, tell me more about that you weren't really a wrestling fan growing up no no i like i said i amateur wrestled in high school until some junior college in college you know i competed that level on the mat but as far as pro wrestling i never watched it never paid attention to it Never cared about it till I ended up at West Texas State. I ended up at West Texas State, and you know, I I didn't know that uh, so many pro wrestlers had come out of that university before I got there. I didn't know none of these guys. You know, I didn't know Tito Santana or Merced Solis was his real name, or Tully Blanchard, and people that come out of there like Dusty Rhodes and all them, uh, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, and Terry Funk and Dory Funk, and all those guys. I didn't know that all those people went there. I didn't really know who they were. You know, amazing. Uh, I'm go back. Go ahead. No, it's amazing. Those names are amazing. It's an amazing yeah. group of people that came out of that area. Well, one of the funniest stories that I tell you about when we used to, when we reported to 
two a days in the summertime uh, for West Texas State. The first day we had to do the Buffalo Bowl run. We'd run from our, our practice fields all the way to Buffalo Bowl, our stadium where we played football and uh, you know our home games at. And it, and the trail went right by Terry Funk's ranch, the Double Cross Ranch, and uh, we'd all be jogging you know, in groups. You had the running backs, the DBs, and then. Then you had the offensive lineman, defensive lineman, which was always trailing, you know that. The big boys were always behind everybody. <laughs> so right. we'd be running through the trail up to Buffalo Bowl, and uh, some guy on horseback was coming by, and he'd be riding a horseback, and he'd be yelling at all of everybody, going, pick it up, pick it up, come on, come on, you can do this. I was jogging along Kelly Kaninsky, which we know is Gene Kaninsky's son. We're all jogging. Yeah. And I said, who is that effing idiot? <laughs> and Kelly Kaninsky liked to have a heart attack. He's like, Dude, don't you know who that is? Don't you know who that is? I said, Terry. no, I don't know who that is. Freaking idiot yelling at us. He goes, that's Terry Falk, one of the greatest wrestlers ever. I said, so what? <laughs> who cares about wrestling? <laughs> Come to find out later on, he was one of my mentors, but at that time, we're jogging, huffing and puffing, and he's yelling at us, kind of pissing me off. <laughs> and, and Terry Terry was a booster, right, for West Texas State, well, Terry yeah. and Dick Murdoch. Yeah, and Terry's still a big, big booster of West Texas. I, A&M, they call it now, which I don't I don't care for because I never liked the Aggies. But uh, <laughs> Terry's still a big booster. He's still a big help. And help uh, build their new stadium. He was a big booster in building that new stadium. They got real nice stadium they got on campus now. But huh. uh, yeah, that was one of my introductions that went around. Uh, and, you, uh, mentioned, you mentioned you uh, mentioned you mentioned uh, Tito Santana or said Solis. And I got to ask you before we get more into Terry Funk, you and Tito both had that flying forearm. You called yours the flying burrito. And actually, it's funny because when Bobby Heenan used to make fun of the move on WWF television, he used to call Tito's move the flying burrito. So my question to you is, Manny, who came up with that move first? And then I want to ask you, uh, well, let me ask you that first, and then I'll get to part B. So don't let me forget that. Who came up with it first? You were Tito. Well, Tito was already in the business. He was he came to Amarillo territory to work for uh, Blackjack and, and Murdoch and, and Amarillo, and he was using it. It was more or less a flying crossbody. Yeah. You know, he didn't he didn't use it as vicious as I did to spin around. I added a little more speed and power to it. He had a uh, flying form, yeah, crossbody type thing. But Tito did that. He was already in the business. He was already. I'll never take that from him. But. Well, later on, you know, when I came up with it running so hard and getting the airborne harder and taking people's heads off, literally, <laughs> literally, uh, you know, Tony Schiavone. See, I didn't know that about Bobby Heenan. I did not. Yeah. I, I'm, that's something, uh, wow, it's amazing. But later on, Tony Schiavone, and, uh, when we were at WCW, asked me what vicious move that was. What do you call that? And I just finished hearing uh, David Allen Cole's. Uh, version of I heard the burritos out in California could fly higher than a bird. <laughs> so <laughs> I had that stuck in my head. That song stuck in my head. And I just said, it's a flying burrito. Yeah. I didn't even know Bobby even did that, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Now, now you you're know, not but, you're you're not a wrestling fan, right? You're not a fan of today's product. No, I'm not I was never a wrestling fan, period. Yeah. I did it because you know, I do, but uh, I don't have memorabilia in my house. 
I've never had memorabilia in my house. I don't keep up with stuff like that. I mean, when they go, I go to conventions, people make they buy tens of that, and they tell me to hang on to some. And I just throw them in a suitcase, and they're somewhere. But I don't have no. I have, have you, my football memorabilia. Well, whoa, have you have you seen Roman Reigns? Have you ever seen Roman Reigns on WWE television? Oh, I I know Roman. I know all the Samoans. I've had a very a great relationship with Alpha and Sika and all their offerings, Barbarian and uh, Haku and all. I've always had this. So most of all the Samoans, there's not a one I don't know. Alpha and no. Sika and all them, all their family. Yeah, I know Roman. I met him. I met him a couple of times. He'd come up to me and shake my hand at uh, the tryouts. When I take my kids to try out for WWE, they all come up and shake my hand. That's the, I love their respect. But I don't watch your product even when I'm there. Well, Roman Reigns has a finishing move or a move called the Superman punch. And to me, and, and listen, Manny, I I am not a super fan of the product today. I was a big fan back in, in the 80s and the in the 90s uh, as, as a kid. Um, I don't like the style of today's product as much. But I and and as a kid, I never really, you never really get into the technicality of the moves you know you just kind of watch it and it happens but i was looking at roman reigns do a superman punch and i saw you do a flying burrito and i thought wow that's almost the same move is is that uh did, did you ever see that have you seen roman do that move and do you think there's any homage no. there to to uh, the great manny fernandez no i no i mean no i've never uh, like I said, I'm like you. I don't watch any of that. I don't. I don't tune into none of wrestling. I never tuned into wrestling. I just when I used to wrestle full time, it never came in my house. I left it outside my door. Everything was outside my door. I never. When I came home to my wives or whoever, uh, I just. I never brought wrestling in with me. So no, I. I never seen it. But it. It'd be if he. If he did that to me, it'd be a great honor because he's a great guy. I'm going to send you a video. I'm going to send you a video of the Superman punch. You have to check it out and we'll talk about it next week. Okay. That sounds great. And that's actually, how about next week, next week on this show, we'll talk about the Samoan. So this week we're going to dive into Terry. (laughs) We'll do the Samoans. How about that? Great stories about them Samoans, boy, oh boy. (laughs) All right. Terry Funk. Terry Funk. You met him in West Texas State. He's a booster. You drive him by his ranch. When's the first time you actually interacted with him? I guess you 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 were introduced through Kelly Kaniski, but what's the first time that you actually got to meet Terry Funk, and how'd that go? Well, no, Murdoch, I was interacting with Murdoch. See, Murdoch would come and pick me up and take me places. So I actually got introduced at the Whiskey River Bar over in Amarillo to Terry and the gang, Dennis Stamp and the gang that were working in Mulligan and them when Dickie took me to the Whiskey River. And that's where I met everybody. And, and, and you know, Terry, Dick. See, they used to come watch me play ball. And when I used to play ball at West Texas State, you know, I was a lot older. And back in the 70s, I was the only guy probably on the football field ever back in the 70s had a tattoo. You didn't see that back then, you right. know. So a lot of people would be freaked out about that. But I used to get in fights all the time during the game. So <laughs> they used to call me nuts, right? But that's that's how I met him. They'd come to all the home games there, and we were doing pretty good. Uh, we won two conference titles when I was there. So we had pretty good teams. And uh, that's how I met him, actually, at the Whiskey River. I'll never forget that because <laughs> T- 
Terry was at, at Vicky. I met Terry and Vicky Funk, and she was beautiful people. I mean, talk about beautiful people. Man, Vicky Funk was fantastic. But that's the night old Terry was sitting there, and he was arguing with some idiot, uh, some idiot cowboy with a big belt buckle. You know how they used to wear them back in the 70s, right? Since urban cowboy. Uh, but uh, Terry's arguing with a guy, and, and, you know, I looked down at the bar, and I'm sitting there, and Murdoch says, ah, there you go. Terry's got it handled. He's all right. So Terry tells the guy, he says, don't do it, don't do it. And I'm noticing Terry's got the guy's wrist with his hand. He's got the guy's wrist, grabbed the guy's wrist with his hand. He's telling the guy, don't you do it, don't you do it. And then he picked the guy's hand up and started hitting himself with it. So Terry beat the hell out of the guy. They called the cops, of course. And I'm going like, wait a minute. That guy didn't hit Terry. Terry hit himself. <laughs> right so when the cops came everybody said that guy started it he threw punches at terry so he took that poor guy to jail oh boy <laughs> so I, thought, I thought that was fantastic and said damn i ought to try that once in a while that's amazing <laughs> but, it reminds me of uh you ever see that movie roadhouse with patrick swayze terry funk's in that movie yeah. I, I i picture a bar fight like that yeah <laughs> it was a lot quicker but no terry was i met him that's the night i met him and vicky physically met him you know i knew of him because of kelly and i physically met him that night and i thought it was the greatest night ever because <laughs> what he did people are like wow yeah that was awesome you know it, that sounds like pro wrestling that sounds like pro wrestling yeah all right, we're exactly. going to take our first. We're going to take our first quick break. We'll come back on the other side. More stories of Terry Funk. This is no BS with the Bull Manny Fernandez right here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. For over ten years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. No BS with the Bull Manny Fernandez on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. I'm Bruce Wirt. I am honored to host this show with the Raging Bull. And uh, Manny, before the break, we had just started talking about your relationship with Terry Funk. You met him at the old Whiskey River and you watched him uh, have uh, a guy beat him up with uh, with his own hands <laughs> in a bar fight yeah. and uh, manipulate the situation. And that's your first real experience hanging out with Terry Funk. And I guess, tell me where it went from there. How did you and Terry start to get really close? And how did you get into the wrestling business? Well, see, most of the time I would take care of their, like, Dickie's Ranch and stuff, because these guys were always on the road. And a lot of times they were like, Terry used to go to Japan 
God, almost every three months, he'd be in Japan for five, six weeks. And Dickie was the same way. They always got tours of Japan besides working for WWF or WCW or Florida, wherever, you know. Uh, they would always be on the road. So I was always in charge of taking care of the places. You look, mm-hmm. keep an eye out on the place, especially Dickie French. Double Cross was off to, off a, to the side of uh, West Texas State, so it was pretty well. So that's a shoot. That's a shoot. There's really a double cross ranch. That's a legitimate place. It's not just a a TV thing. No, it was a double cross ranch. He he actually had a ranch out there. What I used to like about it, he had a a caboose, a caboose in the middle of the day going uh, pasture there. (laughs) And you go out and hang out with the caboose and drink beer, you know? But he actually had a caboose over there. Yeah, no, the double cross did exist. And just idiots that don't think it exists, but apparently they didn't go to West Texas State. But the Double Cross did exist, and it was on the other side of our stadium. We had a big ranch out there. It was a beautiful ranch. You couldn't believe he stole it when he did, but that's that's what I did. But, you know, and then when they would come to town and they'd wrestle in the territory, you know, they'd go to Lubbock, Odessa, Hereford, uh, Midland, and, and uh, Abilene Christian, and Abilene, Texas, and all the places happy Texas and all them towns. I would ride with them. You know, I'd, I'd be like, I would be the driver. I would drive them up and down, especially Dickie and Mulligan. I would ride with them and drive while they drank. So <laughs> but basically I was a chauffeur, which was fun being a chauffeur for them because we were always into something, going to the bar, having fun, you know. It was always something. Did they, so I enjoyed that. Did they convince you to get into the business? How did how did that work? I mean, you're hanging around these guys. You're you're really interested in playing football more than wrestling. What what led you to get into into the ring? Did they just start training you? Was it was it kind of a natural yeah. organic thing? No, not even. They but they all knew I was still in college playing ball, and they didn't push nothing on on part. But you know, every time I went to the town, Murdoch made it a point that I had to sit at the top of the bleachers at the very top of the bleachers and just watch the matches. There was times he would ask me stuff and I'd tell him, I don't watch. <laughs> He'd get upset. He'd get upset and knock me upside the head. <laughs> I go, dude, I'm not, I'm not gonna watch that. I just sat there bored, you know? But, you know, then I, you know, after a while I would sit there and watch and, you know, the product they put out back then was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, as, as skeptic as I was, after a while, after watching so many matches, I used to get into it because they were so believable. I mean, the stuff they did was unreal. Nothing, these, these guys couldn't do that stuff today. You know, you know, punishing the hole, getting the hole, in and out of hole, chain wrestling. I mean, they, they did some unbelievable stuff. There were some great wrestlers back then. I mean, great wrestlers. And eventually had me, you know, you know, but, you know, my, like I said, my dream was playing in the NFL. And that was my goal, you know. So I concentrated more on the football game. I uh, work out. You know, they, they knew I worked out a lot in the gym and run a lot, trying to stay in shape and get ready for the draft. But, you know, things worked out sort of, kind of. And, uh, the, you know, things don't always work out the way you, you plan or dream them. You know, and, and being six foot, 260 pounds, back in the 70s, that's not a big guy to make it in the NFL in the offensive line sure. when you're talking about monsters they had back then, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah, but, but it's still it was still a dream of mine. So I enjoyed just being there, and, and just mainly is the way they were so close to one another, 
the way they protected the business, the way they protected each other, in a way that you didn't know they were doing it until you caught on and said, well, he <laughs> did that to protect them, you know? But that's that's the camaraderie they had, you know, going up and down the road. They tell you stories, you know. I would sit down. Me and Terry Funk, every year we have two sit-downs, <laughs> like the mafia, right? Two sit-downs. And we talk about the old days. And, you know, some of the things he tells me, you know, I kind of felt, you know, in the late 70s, I've seen with my own two eyes. But back in the day when Terry, Dory Funk Sr. was alive, he's telling me stories about his dad, how his dad and all the guys that used to travel went with one another up and down the road making a living, scratching out a living back then. You know, they didn't pay too much back then in the 50s and stuff. But scratching out a living, they all lived out of little pup trailers. You know, those little pup trailers, old school pup trailers, yep. probably sleep two, three people in them. They'd all go up and down the road and wrestle, and they, how they would all go to the campground, KOA campground or whatever. And, you know, if one guy didn't make that much money that night, they would all get together and they would cook this big, huge meal because it was just them. Nobody else around, no strangers or stuff. They cooked this all big meal to feed everybody. Sure. They made sure that everybody got fed. Almost sounds like, like, wow. a, like a carnival atmosphere. Yeah. Right. It was kind of like a. Like a bunch of gypsies going around town to town, rusting, making a little money, you know, and and that's what I seen it as. But it just amazed me that the, how they took care of the whole family. They all were like family, you know, into you know this this stuff, and 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 you see it today, and you think about those old timers that struggled, maybe making five dollars, ten dollars a night, you know, rusting their butts off. I mean, rusting their butts off, sure. and none of this flippy floppy stuff. And they would all get together and make sure that the one that didn't make that much, probably made a couple bucks, ended up getting a meal for him and his family. They all made sure of that. And I haven't seen that in any other professional sport, really, the way they were talking about it. But those are the stories that we talk about. <clears throat> the old days, <clears throat> excuse me, how the old timers came together and took care of one another. Something that, you know, in this profession now, it's, you know, dog eat dog and uh, you know, they'd stab you in the back and cut your throat at the same time. But, you know, it's, these guys stuck together, and that's what really impressed me, that stuff like that. And so I'm assuming you're you're on the inside of that club now. Terry's got you on the inside of the club. And when at what point did they start to train you? Did they start to teach you how to take bumps and do that, that sort of well, thing? That came after, you know, I had a couple run, year run with the Kansas City Chiefs. It didn't come for a while. I didn't come for a while. It, it came to, you know, you know, like I said, I I did some awesome road trips. That, you know, another funny story, too. This, you know, the first time, I, I, you know, they started running, bringing people in from out of the state. And the first time they brought in Andre the Giant, first time they brought in Andre the Giant to do a big uh, battle wall in Lubbock, Texas. In fact, in Lubbock, Texas, the first time I met uh, Baby Doll, she was the, the, there for Nick Roberts. Her dad ran Lubbock. That was his town. And Baby Doll was a ticket taker. And I'd always come over with Dickie, and she was a beautiful high school girl. She used to throw the shot put in high school. She was that strong. But that's the first time I met her. And we became really, really close friends then, me and Baby Doll. And, uh, and you know, I was – 
called in to go to the airport and pick up Andre the Giant. Well, before I met Andre, you know the posters they made of Andre? They have Andre, this big giant guy holding up all these people on his arms on the poster, right? Yeah, yeah. Supposed to be this me being skeptical about everything in pro wrestling, like, yeah, right, whatever. You know, okay, I, I know what he looks like on the poster, so I guess you're getting, Mulligan tells me, you're not going to miss him, kid. He's <laughs> taller than I am. I said, yeah, okay. And, you know, Mulligan was six foot ten. Yeah. He wasn't no, no, <laughs> he wasn't no little guy either. <laughs> he was a big six foot ten guy. And uh, I said, yeah, okay, I'll go pick him up. Well, at that time, I had a formula Trans Am. Little Formula Trans Am, you know, and and I go to pick up this big guy. I say, how am I going to get him in my car if he's that big? You know, and me still doubting that he's that big. So I go down there to the airport, and I sit around waiting for him to get off the plane. And I look up, and I see this guy towering above all these people walking down the daggone jetway. I go, oh, my God, how am I going to get this guy in my car. Not for the chance. Yeah, I saw him for the first time. I said, he is a daggone giant. Dang. <laughs> so I got it. We we had to take the T-top off one side of my Trans Am. <laughs> and that's how we got him in the car. That's amazing. <laughs> it reminded me of the movie Gator. With uh, Burt Reynolds made that movie Gator with that Lurch was driving. <laughs> he had his head out the car. But <laughs> I met one of the greatest, nicest person that throughout my career was another one that took really good care of me. He appreciated it that I, every time we was in town, I'd go pick him up. I drove him around, took him to the liquor store first. We ordered a case of beer and a bottle of tequila. And then he went to the town. And I'd go, oh, my God. He's going to drink all that before he wrestles? Sure enough. Stories, stories are legendary. You know, I, I just saw this, and, and you you just verified the size of Andre the Giant. And, you know, I do another show with uh, Bill Apter and Ken Resnick on Wednesdays. And we were talking about Harley Race. And Harley Race is, is about your size, 6'1", 253. And I found out that in 1978 and 79, Harley actually body slammed Andre the Giant way before Hulk Hogan was uh, doing that in WrestleMania three. Oh yeah, there's there's been several guys. I saw Dickie slam, you know, uh, back in Amarillo territory, probably because they didn't have worldwide TV, they didn't know about it. But Harley slammed him. Yeah, there's been Andre took slams for a lot of people that he trusted, that right. he looked up to. They respected, uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, I back when I when I finally, you know, I could go on later on down the road where he was my tag team partner in Florida. Uh, this this guy was Andre is. I've had nothing but love and respect for Andre because he treated me so good before I was in wrestling. When I got into wrestling, he treated me so good then, and even when we traveled a couple times to Japan together, he took care of me. I mean, it's just, I just been a blessing. It's been a blessing that I got into the business when I did because they were still around and they still had a lot of respect for the business. And, you know, and, and going up when I finally got into the business, going up, I respected this business and I defended it. I defended it where I literally got in a lot of trouble, but I protected the business. And that's what I was taught to do by the old timers. 
And that's what, till this day I do. Till this day I do. You know, oh, you think it's not real? Well, let me show you something. You know, so. Manny, that, did it hurt? That's what I love to do. Did it hurt guys like you and Murdoch and Terry Funk when Vince McMahon uh, decided to formally expose the business in the mid 80s? Oh, yeah. For sure did. That's another reason I didn't want to work for him. It hurt. What hurt Dick Murdoch the most was that idiot that came out with the K-Fape sheet. Those K-Fape sheets exposed the business. Murdoch wanted to kill that guy. Dave, Dave Meltzer? So I, yeah, Meltzer. Yeah, Meltzer. I, I don't even remember the guy's name, but I remember that Murdoch used to be so angry every time one of those people would expose that. Or, you know, but yeah, he, he, Murdoch was true boob defender of the business. I forget that's why I got uh, took up the fight. You know, it's just you respect the business. Somebody said something bad about the business, and the boy, you know, you always go to bar, and I used to go to bars, hang out because that was the thing to do. But you always had that one idiot that had one too many beers. They want to come up and be brave and say, "Hey, why don't you tell me wrestling's fake?" And then you give him a fake punch, and he's down. He goes, he's bleeding everywhere, and first thing they do is uh, call the cops. Call the cops. He punched me, and I said, <laughs> "I told the guy one time he got, that happened at a bar in, in North Carolina, um, and he called the cops. And the cops came up, and they asked me what it did. <laughs> yeah, punch He said, "Wrestling." Asked me if wrestling was fake, so I hit him with a fake punch, and he took a fake bump, and then he had fake blood all over him, so it's fake. And the cops started laughing so bad, <laughs> so hard he just left. And you didn't even have to stomp on the floor when you punched him, right? No, I don't do that anyway. I don't do the Lex Luger stomping. <laughs> so many. I hate uh, so just jump jumping back to Terry Funk or circling back to Terry Funk, however you want to say it. So um Terry, Dick Murdoch took you under their wing. You had a couple years with the Kansas City Chiefs. You came back, they taught you how to wrestle and I mean, they really wanted to put you over right away, right? I mean, you started in the late 70s, and by 1979, Terry's putting you over in the Florida Territory as the Florida heavyweight champion. Well, it all goes back to my training. When I finally got released by the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, I was on the taxi squad. You're not even on the roster, but, you know, at least I was on the taxi squad. I was just there, uh, you know, uh, they played their first team defense against uh, us jabronis. <laughs> we were jabronis, in other words. <laughs> we jobbed out the first team defense, but but you know I got released, which I knew was coming. It was inevitable, you know. At least I tried, but you know I came back to West Texas. Really didn't know how, what to do, but that was the last place I was at was West Texas Amarillo Canyon, Texas. So I went back there and helped them out, you know. I told him, man, well, what do you need me to do? I started, you know, I started this. This is the way I started. I started setting up the ring. You know, I was a pretty big guy, cut up and everything like that. I set up the ring for him every show. I take my responsibility back then was taking the ring town to town and setting it up by myself. They didn't allow me to have help. Oh, not even Nobody a crew. Yeah, I didn't have a crew. I had to do it by myself. But those rings were pretty. Back then, were pretty easy to put together, but you had to—I had to do it by myself. They didn't want me to have help. They just were testing me. In other words, sure. they were testing me to see how long I last. I could put up with this, you know. So I started setting up rings, and once I 
started good, getting real good, set up a rings. They started teaching me how to referee. So I started refereeing. And sometimes I used to cheer for the ref. <laughs> I'd push them apart, you know. I'd get in there and literally push them apart, you know, and separate them. Instead of playing around counting, I'd get in there and push them apart. So I started refereeing, and that's what led up to it. You know, as a, as a referee, you got to learn how to take a bump. So, you know, I'd take a bump. But funny is the thing is, like, bumps came natural to me. Because, you know, you take a bump every time you get in a fight or something, you know. And bumps sure. kind of came natural. I kind of enjoyed that, that padding and that ring. But back then, the rings were made of uh, wood, plywood, uh, plywood and carpeting. Carpet from a carpet, padding from a carpet. And they didn't have this thick pad they got nowadays. So you got to learn how to bump on those kind of rings. So <laughs> I was pretty easy taking that. So that was basically learning how to bump and stuff. And I worked my way up to there when they finally said, well, let's see if we want to train a little bit. So. They got me, you know, that led up to that. But it took a it took a while. It took a while to convince me that okay, well, let's try this. You know, what else? What am I gonna? What else am I gonna do? Anybody who <laughs> thinks, anybody who thinks they want to be a wrestler, um, I had two opportunities. One when I was eighteen, and one when I was thirty. The first, I just I wanted to. I was a wrestling fan as a kid. The first opportunity I got to to go to a tryout, I did it. And then the second was uh, training to do a radio stunt when I worked at 1360 WNJC Philadelphia. And I took a couple wrestling classes at uh, Doc Diamond's Devastation University. And uh, that was the second one. The first one, I forget uh, the promoter. It was the Grand Wrestling Alliance, maybe uh, GWA. Anyway, I just taking a bump, forget about getting hit, forget about the cardio and blowing yourself up. Just taking a bump. I always say to people, if you think wrestling's fake, when you fall to the ground and you break your fall with your arm, it still hurts. When you fall yep. to the ground, imagine not breaking your fall, but falling as hard as you can. So it makes a big sound. And that's pro wrestling. And that doesn't even count getting hit. So it hurts. Yeah. And it, it, it makes me laugh is the people say, well, you got padding. Well, it's padding's on top of metal. Okay, it's all steel, and it's two by eights or two by plywood on top of steel barriers, you know, so <laughs> steel railings. So it's not like it's easy. I've, I've seen people try to do that. I've watched people in my school, when I tell them, show them how to take the bump and take it easy, still knock themselves out, still knock the breath out of them, and they're like scared to do it again. Yeah. I said, well, if you're scared to do it again, you're in the wrong business Yeah. because you're going to have to take a lot of these. But, you know, it, like I said, mine came natural, and I just started. I enjoyed it. It was well. I wrestled all my life on a pad, on the mat, on on the gym room floor, on a basketball court, whatever. We put the mat on. You know, that's that's just a little mat on top of that that on plywood floor or cement. So it's kind of like the same thing because back in my era, when you wrestled in high school, you could literally pick up a guy and slam him to the mat. You can't anymore. You can't anymore. <laughs> Because of the injuries, but uh, you mean it was just kind of you kind of got used to it, especially the rolling, because that's what we did in amateur wrestling to get our balance and everything. So that kind of came natural. It's you know it's like to go back to Jack to Jack Briscoe telling somebody when he asked about what do you think of Manny Fernandez, he just looked at him and said one word, natural, and I've always respected that. 
you know, what he said, you know. But it just, from those bumps, that's all I did. You know, it's not like they're going to teach you anything right off the bat. You got to learn how to bump. Right. You got to learn how to bump good. You got to learn how to bump at every level. You got to learn how to hit the ropes and run the ropes properly without breaking your dead on ankles and stuff. I mean, that's how you did. And I so, did that for months. Would, would Terry and, and Murdoch get you booked on the shows that they were on as, as, as a way to get you going, get you trained and some experience? Oh, yeah. Eventually, yeah. Once I started getting would do the point where, you know, when Dickie and them would go to Japan, they left uh, Dennis Stamp in charge of me. And me and Dennis would have some great matches. And Dennis Stamp was a good amateur wrestler. So a lot of times we turn on, turn it around, started shooting on each other. <laughs> but he would laugh. And, and uh, we had fun, me and Dennis. I mean, Dennis taught me a lot. Dennis taught me a lot. And then, and of course, in Amarillo, you had the Kozak, Nick and Jerry Kozak, some old timers from way back when. They were really great, and they'd come in there and show you. I was surrounded by people with nothing but talent. So if you can't be good by then, you're not going to be good at all. You yeah. <laughs> you well give it up. So, you know, once I started learning the psychology of the business, learning why it was done and how it was done and the reason they did it, then is when I started getting to the point where I was pretty decent, I guess, was way above what they believed should have been for a first-year guy. should have been a rookie for a couple of years before he, he went on and did anything. But I was very fortunate. Like I said, I'm very blessed in the business. I, I love this business to death. I mean, I hate what it what it's turning into. And I hate that everybody thinks they can be a pro wrestler. I mean, you see some of these guys out there, Bruce, they don't weigh but 120 pounds with a, with a yeah. five pound weight, you know, and they, they all want to be pro wrestlers and they all want to be high flyers and, jump up and down, do triple flips and all this and that. Yeah, they don't realize it. all that don't mean nothing unless you do it at the right time. It's all about the timing. It's all yeah. about when to do it, how to do it. Make it mean something when you do it. They well, just and, do it all. No, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was, it's about building a card and having different styles of matches. When every match looks the same, it's very tough as a fan to get invested. You, I mean, you really blow it blow yourself uh blow the card up after the first match i mean if your first match your first two matches are all high spots and dives and dives over the ropes and i mean that that really kills the rest of the card by by the main event everybody's sitting on their hands let me tell you something when mulligan and murdoch uh promoted amarillo territory when the funk sold it to them you did any of that and another one was very strict about that was eddie graham he didn't play. If you took anything away from the main event, you were gone. You were gone. You had to pack your bags up right then and there and get the hell out of the dressing room and get down the road. They gave you your pay and send you on your way. Hmm. You know, you didn't take away from the main event. And that's what I notice about all these guys nowadays. You know, they, they all want to be main eventers. You know, they all want to be. That's why mm -hmm. I, to this day, I talk about, the guys that worked underneath me when I was in the Carolinas, the NWA Carolina and then WCW, the guys that worked underneath me were so fantastic. I owe my whole career, really, because they understood their job. Guys like Denny Brown, Hector Guerrero, Mike Davis, all them guys would go out there and set the table. They call it setting the table for the main event. And these guys would go out there and set the table so good 
and worked their butts off so hard for me that I could go out there and sit in the middle of the ring and pick my nose and get over. That's how good they were. You know what I'm saying? That's how good they were. They knew their job and they did it fantastic. You don't have that anymore. Everybody's yeah. ego is the champ. They're the main event. They want to be the champ. They got to have two, three belts. And, what the hell? Like Terry Funk told me one day. I said, where's your belt? He said, around my pants where it belongs. Uh, <laughs> it's all about the push. Everybody wants to push. Let's take, uh, yeah. Manny, let's sneak, sneak in one more quick break. We'll come back on the other side, wrap it up. I want your uh, your favorite Terry Funk moment, and uh, and then we'll wrap up the show on the other side. This is No BS with the Bull, Manny Fernandez, right here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. No BS with the Bull, Manny Fernandez. Right here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed. And if you love this show, you'll love some of our other stuff. So I, uh, I have the pleasure of hosting this show for, for Manny every Friday is when this drops. I also do Wrestling with History with Bill Apter and Ken Resnick. Ken, uh, formerly of WWE and AWA, I was going to say AEW, and everybody knows Bill, uh, the After Mags, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. He's a legendary pro wrestling journalist. Besides that, uh, in the room on Tuesdays with Brady Hicks from Pro Wrestling Illustrated and former WCW star The Maestro, we have Shelly Live with former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe on Briscoe and Big Ace Drops on Fridays, Talking Sass with Sassy Steffi on the weekends. Also, uh, a new show to the network. Uh, it's called uh, My Big Break with Jerry Strauss. And Jerry's first guest, uh, which drops on Friday as well, is the former WWE Divas champion Candice Michelle. So look for the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed on your favorite podcast app something for everybody and we've been doing this longer than anybody so uh, we encourage you to follow like subscribe it's all free uh, we'll have some premium content coming and we'll let you know when but just stay tuned to that feed go to vocnation.com and and follow us on twitter at vocnation there you go manny i got all of that out of the way <laughs> give me your favorite terry funk story uh when WCW started going all over the country, we were flying all over the country. We did a, a Texas uh, where we loop, you know, where we did uh, Odessa, Lubbock, and Amarillo and stuff. Uh, we flew into Amarillo, and of course, I got picked up by Terry and his beautiful wife Vicky. Yeah, and they picked us up in uh, in West Texas, the Panhandle, West Texas. It's kind of funny. 
You know, I lived there for two, went to school there for two years, and one day it could be 90 degrees, and the next day it'd be snowing. That's how, <laughs> how the pan, panhandle was, so unpredictable. So when they picked me up to go to Lubbock to wrestle that night in Lubbock, I was going down there with them and coming back and spending the night at the Double Cross Ranch and then going on to Odessa. Well, when we come to Lubbock, it was nice and sunny and arrived there. Of course, there's Nick and uh, Baby Dolls on the card because that was her dad's town. And uh, we get there, and it's, like I said, nice and sunny. And after the show, Vicky tells Terry, you better put the four-wheel uh, on, turn the four-wheel drive on because it might be snowing down the road. And Terry said, nah, 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 it ain't going to be snowing. Nah, it ain't going to be snowing. Well, sure enough, by the time we got halfway down the road, it come down snow, man. It was snowing so dang on hard. And Vicky's telling Terry, <laughs> so sitting in the middle of, between both of us in the truck, I told you to put the four-wheel drive on. Oh, yeah, man. we'll be We'll be all right. We go another about five miles, and all of a sudden we hit an ice spot in the road, and we end up in a ditch. Oh no! Ditch, <laughs> you screaming at Terry. I told you to put it on the floor, but now look at you. So he says, "Come on, kid, let's get out and push." So he puts on the four wheel drive, and we're pushing the rock in the truck back and forth, back and forth, trying to get out of the ditch. Finally, the four wheel drive kicks in. And, and Vicky puts the gas in reverse. This thing just takes off. <laughs> and all that mud that come up from the tires from that snow. <laughs> I turn and look to Terry, and he's covered in mud. Oh, <laughs> and he boy. goes, Let's go. And I'm close. Both of us are standing there covered in mud. I mean, from head to toe, <laughs> with the wheelchair tires <laughs> And she just sat in that truck and laughed her butt off. <laughs> I was freezing my butt off. <laughs> Vicky thought that was the funniest thing ever. I can remember I had to wash my clothes. Holding <laughs> the clothes, my leather jacket was full of mud. Oh, <laughs> it was that was one of the funniest moments of my of my life with Terry. All that mud and stuff. And Vicky laughing in the truck. <laughs> you you still talk to Terry, Manny? Oh yeah, we still have sit down. That's yeah, we had one in Christmas, I went to visit him, as I always do at Christmas time. I go by and say hi. I haven't been there. He was on, he did a couple things, and I've been able, you know, I worry about him because he's had that, uh, since he had that surgery, he's not been feeling that great. Not He's not doing bad, but he's not been on top, on top of his game. So I worry about this virus, so I kind of just call. We yeah. kind of talk on the phone, you know. I check in on him, and he tanks, you know, we just talk. How we doing and how things going? And he tells me he's still suffering from that surgery and you know stuff. But I plan on going out there once it clears up a little bit more and gets a little cooler because right now it's still snowing up in uh, Amarillo, all mm-hmm. in that area in the Panhandle because it's weather. So yeah, uh, still stay in contact with. I'll never stop being in contact with Terry. Never, never. Well, God willing, the the winter ends, and God willing, the virus ends, because we all need we all need warmer weather, and we all need this pandemic to be behind us. Uh, what what a, f- a fantastic week, Manny! I I love sitting back and hearing your stories, and uh, I I'm having a lot of fun. I hope the listeners are too. We're getting uh, we're getting a lot of positive feedback. Like I said, 
number one show on the, the VOC Nation Wrestling Network feed. And next week, we'll do it again. Yeah, we'll satisfy the haters. We'll satisfy <laughs> the haters. We're going to talk about the Samoans next week. I can't wait to hear your yeah. stories. I mean, what a lineage from Afa Sika all the way down to Yokozuna and uh, the current uh, crop, which includes Roman Reigns and the Usos. Just a tremendous wrestling family. And I can't wait to hear oh, some yeah. of your stories. Oh, yeah, they're fantastic people. You get close to the Samoans, they love you for life. You you have dear friends for life. You know, they just good people, fantastic people. Awesome. Well, Manny, uh, it's been my pleasure to uh, to hang out with you for a little while. Remember, if you like this show, No BS with the Bull, Manny Fernandez drops every Friday on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed. So all of our shows are on the same feed. You don't have to worry about searching or looking up all the individual shows. They come on the same feed. You get all kinds of inside access. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. That's it for this week for the voice of, for, uh, for I'm sorry, for Manny Fernandez, the Raging Bull. I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Work. We'll talk to you next week on No BS with the Bull.